0: morning again. It's the second hour of Mornings with Carmen on this Tuesday, May the 4th, so I am learning to say it. May the 4th be with you.
1: Very good. You're getting, yeah, there.
0: getting better. I'm getting yeah. better. Uh, yeah. Lots of compliments to you, Paul, on the Star Wars bumpers, which, of course, I did not recognize on Star <laughs> Wars bumpers. But
1: You are so not are a geek. you got to work on this I geeking. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, I, I am a geek in other ways, just not in oh, this particular okay. way. So, yeah. All right. A few headlines um, here. Uh, The refugee cap has been raised for fiscal year 2021, which ends in September. Here's the lead this morning. President Joe Biden moved on Monday to raise the cap on refugee admissions this year to 62,500, the number that he promised after taking office just weeks ago. However, he waffled on that commitment by signing a document that kept former President Donald Trump's quota of 15,000. Um, And so you will recall we had a conversation um, just a couple of weeks ago with Matthew Sorens from World Relief on this particular topic. I encourage you to go back and listen to that. You can also read a roundup on this topic um, at World News today as well. Remember, there is a very significant distinction here between um, refugees and people who are seeking to enter the country at the southern border. We're talking about two entirely different groups of people. Um, the refugees that we're talking about are people who are, are have been, are being vetted internationally through a very rigorous process. Um, they cannot go, they literally cannot go back to um, their home country. They literally have to live somewhere else, and currently they are living in refugee camps run by the United Nations around the world. So we're talking about Refugees. We're not talking about people seeking asylum at the southern border. We're certainly not talking about people seeking to enter the U.S. illegally at the southern border. So these are people, these refugees are people who have been, they got in line, they've been standing in line. There is an internationally recognized process, um, as well as a U.S. process designed to receive them. That's the group of people we're talking about. Many, many, many of them are Christians. And so, um, This is a good thing, in my view. um, And 62,500 is not nearly enough, in my view, in terms of the United States of America um, doing her part globally for uh, for people who literally cannot go back to where they're from. Um, All right. Other um, other news this morning, and this is like less leading the headlines and more leading my uh, list of concerns in terms of my social media feed. Emily Smith is an epidemiologist at Baylor University. She's also the wife of a Baptist pastor. She's a mom. She has been working hard to um, help people understand COVID-19, and she's been trying to help people understand—remember, she's an epidemiologist. She's she's in a position to know. Um, She works at Baylor University. She's been trying to help people understand who needs to be vaccinated and why they need to be vaccinated, and she's been talking about it from a Christian perspective— Um, And she has been eviscerated online. Um, Threats have been made against their family. Um, Threats have been made against her children. The same has happened to our friend Jamie Ayton, executive director of the Humanitarian Disaster Institute at Wheaton College. Um, In his work, he has been seeking to help um, evangelicals deal with hurricanes, floods, tornadoes, you know, all kinds of disasters. And um, then that ministry has been widely received with gratitude. And then he began urging people to be vaccinated against COVID-19, and the, the tide turned ugly against him. He has now had to file a number of reports with the sheriff's department where he lives um, because he's been getting emails claiming that his work on vaccinations was, quote, punishable by death, death threats. Um, let me just say, if you are treating Christians um, in this way, stop it. Like that, there's no excuse for this kind of behavior, um, and there's and, and I would argue, there's no chance that the people who are doing this to Jamie Ayton and to Emily Smith and to others, uh, you know, aren't professing Christians because frankly, we're, this we're talking about the Christian subbubble here. You're you're talking about you know the, the only the only places these people are even known is uh, is within the Christian community, and so uh, professing Christians are the ones threatening these people with death. So stop it. Um, And if you hear anyone saying these kinds of things against uh, against others who are uh, advocating, you know, frankly, people have the right to advocate anything that they feel called to advocate for. You advocate stuff I don't believe in. I probably advocate stuff you don't believe in. That doesn't mean we threaten one another with death. All right. So we got to learn to be more civil in our discourse with one another. And we got to get off of um, the, the social media. A frenzy of threatening people, not only with being canceled, but with being killed. I, I mean, yeah, yeah, just stop it. All right. Justin Giboney is up next with the AND campaign. He and I are going to deal with a range of headlines uh, on the topic of race. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Justin Giboney is an attorney. He works for an organization called the And Campaign. You can find him at andcampaign.org. Uh, you can all find all his socials there as well. Justin, welcome back.
2: Hey, Carmen. It's been a while.
0: Happy Mother's Day week to your um, precious wife who, um, yeah, I know that just brought a smile to your face because you got all those little people now.
2: I do. I do. Uh, and I got to get my plans together. Don't tell her, though.
0: Yeah, dude, it's time. It's definitely time to get the plans <laughs> together because it's your job as the dad because the kids can't do it. Like that's they're just. Yeah. And and happy yeah. Mother's Day to your mom, who is a great woman, uh, great yeah, woman thanks. as well. All right. We um let's talk about this. This uh, I thought that this New Jersey law school headline um, would be of interest to you. A debate has erupted at a New Jersey law school where a white student quoted a racial slur in the context of a conversation where the slur was used and so first of all help us understand what's happening here and then like help us talk about this
2: yeah it's interesting carmen because uh this is uh, actually a situation that happened while i was in law school uh we were i can't remember exactly what class we were in but we were going over a case and there was a, a racial epithet that was in the case and it was repeated I will say that we handled it a little differently than we see it handled here. So uh, it it sounds like that they were were just going over a case, and in that quote, there was a word, I believe the N word was used in the quote, and the person reading it, a white lady, just simply read the quote. Um, Mm. And there was a reaction by the students saying that they need to, you know, um, kind of not allow to ban that word and all these other things, and they've been coming at the administration. Let me let me say this. As someone who's been called the N word, I do understand Mm. how that can make people feel and how people get upset about that. So I I don't want to attack these students um, for for their reaction. But I will say that intentions matter. Context matters. If you have somebody that's just reading a case, that's not, you know, giving this quote with any type of malice, who feels terrible about it, who didn't mean to hurt anybody reacting in this way, I just don't think is healthy for anybody in the conversation. Uh, It's not healthy for you if you allow something like that to traumatize you, which I don't think it should traumatize you if you put it in context. It's not good for the person that said it, who you could just say, hey, I would appreciate if, you know, when it came to that word, you would just say N-word or you would, you know, you would just not say the word. It could have been handled much better that way than I think the way that it's become this huge issue that's, a catastrophe and that's traumatizing. It doesn't have to be that. And I think, unfortunately, sometimes the way we deal with each other, the way that we deal with uh, potential offenses is just more performative than it is, um, you know, healthy. And and so I think we need to approach those things differently. It doesn't mean that there doesn't need to be a conversation, but it could have been easily handled through a conversation and not, you know, all that's been, it's been made out to be.
0: So I confess to you that um, I don't think I could read that word out loud. Like, I I think I would have been, like, that would have been a, I would have had to stop. And so I think that's a, that for me is a part of it, you know, I mean, as a white woman, I'm saying to myself, okay, try to put yourself in that context. Yes, intent matters, but think before you speak. and, And, you know, and like, you know, we're not just You know the word is on the page before it's, you know, out your mouth. So uh, do you see what I'm saying, Justin? Like there is this, I mean, like sort of like what if she had stopped and said, I can't read that word.
2: Yeah, I'm not saying it's a wise move. Um, I will say that sometimes when you're in a law school class and you're just reading, um, Mm. her mind might have been somewhere else. There's a Mm -hmm. myriad of reasons why it could have been said. So I'm not saying it was the best move by her. I'm saying the reaction Might have been, um, this might have made, you know, might have turned something uh, that could have been solved easily into a a larger issue. Um, And and I think when we can, we should try to avoid doing that. I mean, they could have easily said, hey, do you mind sitting down with us and going to lunch and talking about why next time we would prefer you not to say that word? To me, that's a better way to go about it. Now, I'm not saying that that was a a wise choice for her.
0: Yeah. Or, you know, or maybe the professor could do a better job also in advance, like saying, hey, there's a there's definitely some words in this particular case that are going to be problematic. Let's talk in advance about what we're going to do when we come to those. Like that That seems to me like that might be helpful as well. All right. Um, I, I love talking with you and thank you for your willingness to do so. Um, I, this is obviously not the only subject matter you and I could be discussing, but I find it easy to ask questions of you because you know me And we have um, the basis of a relationship outside of being on, you know, on the radio together. And so um, I just I really genuinely appreciate it, Justin. Justin and I are going to return in just a moment. Yesterday, um, Reverend Al Sharpton delivered the eulogy at the funeral of Andrew Brown. Members of George Floyd's family were present. um, And the reality of unarmed black men dying while in the process of being arrested by police was understandably center stage. It brings back into view the verdict and conviction of Derek Chauvin, and I think the federal indictment of three men and the killing of um, Almard Arbery. So with all of that in view and Tim Scott's Senator Tim Scott's response to President Biden's address last week, Justin Gibney and I are going to continue our conversation in just a moment. Really hands- continue my conversation with Justin Gibney. You can find him at and um, Justin, I, I what I wrote in my notes is the fatigue is real. Like, uh, the fatigue is real. Um, talk with us about, you know, where you perceive us to be. Um, Senator Tim Scott, you know, said we're not a racist country. Um, President Joe Biden, you know, used that language. Kamala Harris has, you know, echoed Tim Scott's language. Like, you know, the African Americans in the conversation are saying different things and then they're saying you know, on social media, horrible things about one another. I, I, but the fatigue is real. Like the fatigue um, in terms of, are you kidding me? Like, you know, Andrew Brown, I mean, like, are you kidding me? This has happened again? Um, and so, I, and I know my fatigue is not nearly as deep as your fatigue. So just talk with us about where we are.
2: Yeah, well, I can tell you where we should be. Uh, I think we mm-hmm. should be yeah. on our knees uh, asking the Holy Spirit for strength, uh, for, for, you know, to, for, for, uh, you know, long suffering, all all those things that, you know, we have to persevere through all of this. And the reason I don't, the fatigue is real. So I do want to agree with you there, but the reason I try not to focus on the fatigue so much is I often think back to, you know, my, my ancestors and and folks who I've even interacted with still today who are part of the civil rights movement and all the Mm. things that they were going through with the, the dogs and, the uh, the fire hoses and and so many things that they went through on a daily basis. It, you know, that understanding gives me strength to move forward. Um, I think it's okay to acknowledge that, you know, uh, that we're tired, that uh, it is tough to see this happen over and over again. But I, I, I kind of caution people not to sit in that because um, we can get, you know, and I think we earnestly talk about that and we should. I think it's healthy too. But we want, don't want to get into a place where I think we also can go where it becomes performative too. So I think yeah. we, we need to pray on it. We need to s- understand that we're not the first ones to have to go through this and really come together and lean on each other when we do get tired. So no, no problem with admitting that we're tired, admitting that it's hard, admitting that we don't want to see this happen again and it's hard to watch. But we do have to overcome that. Uh, we do have to find ways and God can give us and will give us the strength to overcome it. So we don't have to be always focused on that. Uh, and, and so that's really my advice to, to think of the folks that need help and and do our best uh to 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 help them. And if you need to sit out, if you need to say hey, I need to take a couple weeks off to for self-care or something like that, nothing wrong with that. Uh but we got to keep fighting. We got to keep the um keep the uh, uh uh pursuit of justice moving.
0: Okay, and when you uh, first of all, thank you. And amen. Um and when you say keep the pursuit of justice moving, I have, um, I'm hearing the word justice differently from different people today, and so when you talk about the pursuit of justice, um, what does that encompass for you, and what does that look like in terms of next steps?
2: Yeah, so when I just generally, you know, as kind of a definition, when I'm talking about justice, I'm talking, I'm starting with human dignity and the understanding that as humans, because we are made in the image of God, we must be treated uh, based on a certain standard regardless of where we are, who we are, what's going on. There's a standard of human dignity, and that's how we need to be treated. To me, that's where justice comes from. And so we need to keep having these conversations. We need to keep advocating, if that's what we're doing, to make sure that we're we're continually putting these messages out so people hear it. Um, And we need to continue working and and advocating uh, when it comes to policy. Uh, Keep educating ourselves and other people on history and, and some of the issues that are going on now. That's a a uh, 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 long-term process, but we need to do it with a sense of urgency.
0: Yeah. And, I, you know, you have helped me um, understand and see and and then desire to go and study things that I was not aware of before. Um, you know, it's because of you that I have paid, you know, closer attention to history related to Tulsa, Oklahoma. It's because of you that I have learned about and, um, and paid attention to uh, uh, the reality that Um, black men get stopped on the highway in rural America, you know, on their way home from an event where I didn't get stopped on the same night in the same stretch of road. Um, You know, like, right? And so when we, uh, relationships, like genuine relationships help us. And I think, I know this to be true of the people with whom I interact. People want to develop real, sincere relationships across you know, what we might call racial divides today. And yet we seem really um, oddly unable to do that effectively.
2: Yeah, unfortunately, I think there are narratives and there are um, there are narratives that kind of keep us separated. And I think that there are unfortunately actors within the public square who benefit from us not having those conversations and benefit from us uh, using them as the mediators instead of having conversations ourselves. We do not overcome this, and we should know this just from understanding the Bible. We do not overcome uh, this without having conversations and coming together as a body through fellowship, prayer, and otherwise, and re- really leaning on the Lord here. So we have to come together. We have to build relationships in order, number one, to be faithful, right? Uh, and number two, to uh, to overcome some of the issues that we're facing in America today and that we've been facing for a long time.
0: So, Justin, um, we have a listener who is pointing out something that we, you know, we now all know to be a part of the story of um, of the Andrew Brown situation. And that is, you know, this was an individual who they were um, seeking to arrest. He had committed a crime. He actually has a really long rap sheet. Um, and there's there are circumstances in uh, in this situation. Right. It how do we have a conversation about law and order and justice and a conversation about race and policing um, when people don't comply with the police and maybe sometimes understandably so because they're afraid of them. Like it's, it's complicated.
2: Yeah. Yeah, And that's, that's the thing. Understand that it's complicated. We don't have to jump to conclusions. So you'll, you'll notice if you go down my timeline, I haven't weighed in on that. I don't Mm -hmm. feel like I need to weigh in on the facts of a case that haven't, when the facts haven't necessarily been revealed. Now, some people, On my side of the aisle will really come at me for that. But as an attorney, I realize the importance of actually knowing what happened. So I don't have to weigh in to kind of go along with whatever narrative my side is is pushing. We need to see what happened. Right. We need Mm -hmm. to understand that, you know, it is terrible when police officers abuse their authority. But we also need to understand they're in very tough situations, and that you do need to obey uh, police officers when they ask you to do something for your safety and theirs. That's a message that we have to put, push forward. How that applies exactly to what happened in this case, I don't yet know, and so I haven't yet kind of rendered an, uh, an opinion on that. And I think everybody should be willing to sit back and just, you know, uh, uh, wait for the, the facts to come out when necessary. When you know when it's not clear. And um, render a judgment when you you know when you know more of what's going on. Too often that does not happen because we want to automatically uh be with one narrative or, or another. but um, there's some complicated situations. I'll keep looking at this one, and regardless of what, exactly what happened, this is a tragedy, and we just need to pray that justice be served, whatever whatever that may be.
0: Justin, um, as always, thank you. Um, thank you so very much. We love talking with you. Blessings uh, on you and your family and your work. You guys can find Justin at a n d Um, All his socials are there as well. Thanks, man.
2: God bless you. Take care.
0: Thank you. You too. We'll be right back. All right. It is uh, Mother's Day week. And um, in the lead up to Mother's Day, I wanted to have a conversation with Judy Douglas. Um, Judy is one of my just favorite women in the world. She she heads up the women's ministry for Crew, which you might know as Campus Crusade internationally. Um, we're going to talk about Mother's Day. We're going to talk about what it looks like to love prodigals and what it looks like um, to continue to love your kids when they are Living, um, living lives that are kind of scary to you and sometimes completely disconnected from you. So that's conversation up next, um, a Mother's Day conversation about praying for prodigals and loving them. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen.
1: This is Max Locato. As one Harvard professor said, we think money will bring lots of happiness for a long time. Actually, it brings a little happiness for a short time. We've all seen happy peasants and miserable millionaires, right? There is another option. It requires no credit card, monthly mortgage, or stroke of fortune. It demands no airline tickets or hotel reservations. Age and ethnicity and gender are not factors. You don't have to change jobs, change cities, change looks, or change neighborhoods, but you might need to change doors. The motto on the front door says, happiness happens when you get. The sign on the lesser used back door counters, happiness happens when you give. Doing good does good for the doer. This is Max Locato, and this is how happiness happens.
0: Judy Douglas is uh, one of my favorite people in all the world. Um, She works with an organization called Crew. You may know it as Campus Crusade. She is equipping and empowering women um, here and around the world um, who love Jesus to reach others for him. She's also uh, a wife to Steve, who I also love, and she's a mom. And so I've invited her here to talk a little bit about um, her experience as a mom who had a son who was a prodigal. So, Judy, welcome back
3: to Mornings with Carmen. Oh, Carmen, what a nice, happy time to be talking to you. I haven't I seen know. you in a long time. It's been way too
0: long. I have hated I have hated COVID um, in Me no too. small part because it has meant that I have not had the kind of time with women like you um, who I just dearly love. So... Um, so, looking looking forward to the next time. So, um, I have you and I have talked uh, on a prior occasion about your book when you love a prodigal, and I want people to um, to use that as a resource as well. Um, but I want to just talk today about moms um, who are facing Mother's Day um, while their children are prodigals. So. Remind us about your experience of, you know, being a mom to a boy who was a prodigal and um, and then give them, you know, set that light at the end of the tunnel for them.
3: I will do that. Well, I have three children, two girls that uh, are naturally ours, and then God sent us a boy. And when he actually came to live with us as a foster child, he was almost 10 years old, going into third grade, could barely read or write and he had lots of traumatic background that made life hard for him. Uh, Over the first three years that he was foster care, before we adopted him, life was challenging. Um, But then when we adopted him, when I thought, oh good, he'll feel secure now, uh, it got harder because he had so much pain from his background. One of his great pains was that they took him away from his mother. And even though she did not care well for him and she chose her addictions often, mostly, um, you know, she was his mom and he loved her. But over time, I fell in love with this kid. God just really poured his love for him into me and, and I loved him. And I can remember with Mother's Day coming that I would wish that that boy could at least sign a card that said, Love Josh. Mm -hmm. But it it didn't happen, and it didn't happen, and it didn't happen. And I said, Lord, why can't he love me back? Because I'm loving him a lot. (laughs) And the Lord said, oh, Judy, don't you know, unconditional love doesn't require love in return. (laughs) Mm. It requires nothing, in fact. You just love. And so that was an aha, shouldn't have been, but it was, of beginning to keep loving unconditionally, which was a very good thing because the years ahead, like the next 15 or so, were really very hard because he made so many bad choices. And yet continuing to love is one of the most important things that God taught me. That that child, our son, would really believe that we loved him, that I loved him. Took it about 10 to 15 years before that really became real to him. And it was was a long, hard journey. But God taught me so much about how to love someone who's rejecting your love or making hurtful choices that scare you or... Disappoint you, so it's been a wonderful journey, but not an easy one.
0: So I know everyone listening right now is thinking to themselves, "Well, I know why Carmen wanted to have Judy on to talk with us um, in the lead up to Mother's Day. Mother's Day can be um, it can be a really hard day, um, and you know as as mom to uh, to six who are not you know who I didn't bear any of them into the world, but I bear them all now." Um, in my life and in my heart, and two of them still in my home. Um, And it's um, Mother's Day is this strange, odd experience. Um, And the church makes something of it in some cases that it probably ought not be. Um, And I just want to lift up, like, to everybody who's listening right now, as you're thinking about what you're going to do this coming Sunday at church or in church or through church, just remember that kids like Josh, um, they're sitting there and yes, they're sitting in the context of a foster or an adopted family who loves them very much, but they're also sitting there thinking about their mom from whom they were taken or, um, or who was taken from them because of addiction or because of other trauma in her own life. Like Mother's Day is a complicated, hard mess uh, in the world today. And so I wanted Judy to talk with you um, out of your own experience, but also, you know, to those who are listening who are going to stand up in worship services this coming Sunday, and they're going to lead congregational prayers that are going to be just complex at the very root of it um, and need to take into account every experience in the congregation, including the experience of, you know, a a vast number of women sitting there who have at some point in their life aborted a child. Like Mother's Day is a really hard complicated day in our culture. Um, what, um, What do our prodigals need?
3: Well, they need quite a few things, but let me just mention a couple. The first underlying thing I think they need is for us to do everything we can to maintain relationship with them. Because when they're hurting or when they're angry or when they're just rebellious and running with the wrong people who also have their own issues, then one of the most hurtful things they do is is reject us, leave us, and, and say things like, I hate you, or I'm leaving and I'm never coming back. You'll never hear from me again. Um, and those are very real kinds of conversations you would hear. And so we can't force them uh, to do what we want to be what we want, but we can do everything we possibly can to maintain relationship and there are two things that I would mention and then have could say a little more about one is is love, the unconditional kind of love that I mentioned earlier, but which what that looks like in real life. How do we do that? And the second is grace. And, and what does that look like? So I I can talk about both of those. Um, would you like me to go ahead or do we need yeah, to take a break? Yeah, let's
0: take a very, yeah, you're so good. Let's take a very, very brief break. And when we come back, Judy Douglas and I are going to talk about loving unconditionally and extending grace to things that our prodigals really need. We'll be right back.
1: Wherever you are.
0: Friends texting in on the text line, uh, Mother's Day is hard with my adopted as well as my non-adopted children. I've got three adult prodigals. It is so tough. Judy Douglas uh, joins me today. Um, she is the author of When You Love a Prodigal. She also hosts, hosts a really, really wonderful Facebook group that I want to highlight for you today. It's Prayer for, and that's the number, prodigals. Prayer for prodigals. It's a Facebook group that um, that you can join if this is your area of, um, you know, just need of encouragement in, in your own life. Judy, we started talking about the things that our prodigals need. Um, you mentioned loving them unconditionally um, and extending grace. Um, I'm sure in there is praying for them without ceasing.
3: <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I don't ever quit praying, even now, for my prodigal, who's actually in a pretty good place, uh, turned into a good man, uh, a hardworking man. He has three children, um, and that's all wonderful, but life is hard, and there's always this little, in the back of your head, what bad thing could happen that could send him back into his addictions, and those are those are real feelings that we have. We can't control them. Uh, We can ask God, but he actually will not control them either. God says, it says in Romans 2, 4, that God is wooing them with his loving kindness. And that's how he will bring them back. Now, he also knows a lot more than we do about what will work with them, but I have some things that I think will work at least over time uh, right, the first is the unconditional love and and I'm just going to mention three things from first Corinthians thirteen which of course gives us an incredible God a guide to what our love should look like um, it's a, it's a very tangible kind of thing, and the first one that's mentioned in First Corinthians thirteen verse four is to be patient. Um, on my podcast, I just am, in a few minutes going to be recording some sessions on time because we wish it would happen now. And it rarely happens now. And God's sense of time is a lot different than ours because he's, you know, living in eternity, but he lives with us in time. And so we need to learn to be patient, waiting on God and the work that he's doing now. Will they always come back? No, but... You know, an awful, most of them do. If we keep being patient, and if we treat them with kindness, um, even when they don't treat us with kindness, which is going to be fairly common depending on what their rebellion is, some of them it's it's much more of an intellectual kind of thing, and they just want nothing to do with our God. But for many of them, it's getting drawn into uh, addictions and other kind of harmful destructive choices. But to be kind to them, even when they yell at us, even when they are inappropriate in the things they do and say, is how Jesus treated people. Now, that's not to say we don't have some boundaries and consequences, because we do, but even then we we present those with, with loving kindness, with patience and and that will make a difference. The the third on love that I would mention, but I would recommend you read all of 1 Corinthians 13 regularly to be a check to say, oh yeah, that, I'm not doing that very well. But this one's really a powerful one. And it's, it says, we keep no records of wrongs. That is so hard for us. I mean, I can name the stories. Now, of course, I'm telling the stories in my book and my podcast a lot. so. But I can tell you what he did at this time that was so hurtful or what he did at this time that made me angry. And God says, if you love them, you're not going to keep a record of their wrongs. And that's true in marriage. That's true with all of our kids. It's with anyone that we care about. Love is not keeping track of all the things they've done wrong love is forgiving. And Jesus was the model, you know, from the cross, he looked down at the people who were crucifying him. And he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And so he calls on us to not keep our record of wrongs, but rather to forgive them and move on. That They take time, but that is a revolutionary thing for those we love. Amen. Moving on to grace. Early in my journey with this boy, he's now 38, but he came as a 10-year-old. The Lord said to me, when you make mistakes with this boy, and you will, and I made many, he said, make your mistakes on the side of grace And if you stop and think about your mistakes, your own mistakes and God's response, you will see his grace over and over and over where he doesn't give us what we deserve, but instead he gives us kindness and love and even above and beyond, he gives us, he overgives us in a positive way. Our God is so full of grace. that he extends mercy. He loves mercy. Uh, It talks about that throughout Scripture as well. And mercy is the forgiveness, and grace is the going forward. God gives us everything we need to make the choices that we should and to treat those loved ones uh, the way his heart would want to treat them, and therefore he will enable us to do that. It takes some learning and growing, um, and the best way we do that is how we speak to them and um, we're told that we should everything that comes out of our mouth should be seasoned with grace so I wrote this little thing called the voice of grace and it's just a few points on how to speak with grace and if we speak to our loved ones with grace it diffuses the conflict it Puts out the fires that, that flare up in our relationship mm-hmm. with them. And, and there's just several words here. Wait, <laughs> you know, count to ten kind of thing before you speak. Moderate your voice so that you speak slowly and calmly, gently, firmly, though. Think, what will will these words add fuel to the fire? Because <laughs> a lot of times the things we say just cause the fire to be a conflagration instead of just a little uh, fire pit. (laughs) Consider, would you want someone to speak to you with those words and that tone of voice? Recognize, and this is really true, the words you speak today can be part of your relationship with your prodigal all the years to come. And you think, oh, no, that that they'll forget. Well, yes, they'll forget a lot. But a child can say, I remember when my mother said, or I remember mm-hmm. when my father did this. And it's stuck with them for years, decades even. Realize your tone of voice can turn neutral words into destructive words. And then this one is incredible to me. Remember, you love this person mm-hmm. and love speaks with grace and finally you pray first of all you pray before you speak but you keep praying and and so to me if I can love my prodigal unconditionally being patient treating them with kindness uh, not reminding them of all the bad things they've done but also with grace that my words are just laced with the grace of God and remembering how God has dealt with me when I have sinned, when I have made bad choices, when I've been stupid. Um, When I remember those things, and God's response, then I can be the channel of God's grace to this person I love, even if they're not returning the love. It is possible.
0: Judy, thank you so very much. You're so dear. Um, thank you. We have listeners texting in right now. Wow, I really needed to hear this. That's from Tammy. Tammy, bless you today. Um, so many folks that this is resonating with. Judy Douglas, thank you so much. You guys can find Judy at her website. That's where you can find her podcast and her books and her blog and her. Judy Douglas. Douglas has two S's. JudyDouglas.com. Yes, two, S's.
3: two S's. Judy, thank you so much, sweet friend. Thank you, Carmen. What a what a a privilege to be here with you. It's just dear.
0: All right. um, And happy Mother's Day.
3: Happy Mother's Day to you.
0: Thank you, dear one. We'll be right back. All right. That's all the time we've got today. I love each and every one of you. Be blessed. May the 4th. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app.